Turn, if you will, to First Peter. First Peter. I'm going to look today at suffering in the will of God leads to triumph. Suffering in the will of God leads to triumph. Uh, I think I shared last week that the book has been, uh, in many parts, rather depressing to a coward. When he keeps telling me, consider yourself blessed when you suffer, I said, Lord, give that promise to someone else. I want to be blessed so as not to suffer. Uh, but he's writing to a people that are being persecuted, will be persecuted. Uh, Peter will be uh, decapitated by Nero. Paul will be decapitated by Nero. So they're not talking theory. They're talking real persecution, real oppression of God's people. Uh, with us, we try to imagine. And we a lot of times say sin so bad and the pressure. Now, we're talking about people that come to arrest you. People come to incarcerate you and even to execute you. So he says in chapter 2, verse 22, that when you suffer, Christ has left you an example to not return evil for evil, uh, reviling for reviling, threat with threat. And he perfectly modeled that in his own life and his own suffering. So that is the template given to us. Not Rambo, but Christ. Christ is the way and the model for God's people to go through their suffering. Then he goes on and look at 3.13. He says something like this. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? And I want to say, Peter, all kinds of people. Why do you think we've got guns, locks, and security? But he's just saying hypothetically. You know what? As a whole, if you do good, you'll be rewarded, right? But perchance, you may have to suffer. Verse 17. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Uh, wow. And I've kind of, uh, I've been searching in the book and hoping, is there anything beyond suffering? Is there any, uh, where does it end? And I think he begins this section in verse 18 to 22 with some of the greatest news, good news, in the whole book of Peter. Because he's saying this ultimately, and we're going to look at four triumphs, four triumphs of Christ through his suffering, how he came out on the other side, and it is the pathway for you and I that it won't end with martyrdom, it won't end with persecution, it won't end with execution, that where the saints are headed will not be in an arena eaten by lions or, you know, booed by a mob. No, as it is with our Savior, his suffering, 
led to glory, it's exactly where ours is going to lead us. And so we're going to look at four triumphs of Christ uh, through suffering, four triumphs. Look at the first one, verse 18. Uh, We see the triumph of Jesus in his suffering in verse 18. Listen to what it says. For Christ also suffered once for all for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers, and these are different ranks of angelic beings, in submission to him. Uh, First of all, he triumphed through the cross. He triumphed through the cross. Now, that is the uh, darkest day in history, the darkest day in the history of the sun. I mean, to wind up crucified next to the city dump of Jerusalem outside the city limits. The king is not even in the city of the king, but he's outside the city wall next to the dump. Shame, nakedness, wounds, rejection, spit, crown. But listen to what he said happened. There I died once for all. That is magnificent. For sins, no more Levitical priesthood, no more animal sacrifices, no more. There is no sacrifice anyone can ever bring to God since the cross that God will pay any attention to. It's his son's death and that alone that gives you access to God. That death alone, once for all, and what happened there? The just, the righteous one, takes the place of the unrighteous one. That is good news. We finally have a substitute for our sins. The blood of animals could never wash away sin. They were all symbolic, 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 waiting for this event. And so in it, when you say he's being rejected, when all of that, you don't know the whole picture. In God's sight, the Father's looking on. He said, this smells good to me. My son is being made a guilt offering For the sins of his people, I'm pleased with it. 
I'm satisfied. This is enough, son. This is enough to purchase sinners. This is enough to get a man or a woman who puts their faith in Christ to get them to heaven. His death. His death. And then he said, what did it do? It brought you to God. I come to God on the basis not of my merit, not on the basis of any gifts I've ever given to the church, not on the basis of my baptism, not on the basis that I'm in under the right label church. Who cares what your label is if you don't know Christ? You must know Christ. And so he said, this one death is what brings us to God, and he accomplished it. It is finished. It is paid for. And no sinner will go to heaven through any other means but the triumph of Christ on the cross. That, that's triumph. So you say, oh, this is defeat. No, no. He accomplished everything he set out to do at the cross. It was done. We cling to the cross. We cling. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, put your foot at the foot of the cross and stretch your other foot as far as you can go. He said, spread it as far as, but always keep one foot at the foot of the cross. He says, he goes on to say something about Christ, that uh, he died in the body, but he was made alive in the spirit. There's debate over this. Some uh, commentators make a division here. They're talking about the body, the flesh, versus the immaterial part, my spirit. So they divide up Christ's body, spirit. Okay. Others, as NIV translates it here, they just say he was made alive by the Holy Spirit. And that may be true. Others take a view that he's talking about two spheres, two spheres of existence. In the realm of the body, he died. The whole being died. His spirit was involved. His soul, all that he was, all that he was in his humanity died on the cross. But in resurrection, he was made alive in the realm of spirit. And I take this to be his resurrection, that Christ was resurrected. There's theories out there that Christ during his three days went and preached in hell. I don't think that's true. Uh, people have got it in these three days he did all kinds of things. No, I think it's when he was resurrected he started doing all kinds of things. But he died in the realm of the flesh. He was made alive in the realm of spirit. So I believe, I take it in his resurrected body, he did the following. Watch this triumph. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits. To those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You went to what? Imprisoned spirits. Yes, sir. 
What in the world was he doing then? Where's that? When did he do it? I think it was after he was resurrected. Do you remember he appeared for 40 days to the disciples? So in that resurrected body at 40 days and still visiting the earth, going back and forth, he didn't get a motel at night. He can, he can come and go as he will. But he went to a place here, he says, was a prison house. Uh, where are spirit beings? Where, where, is, where are all the angels that rebel with Satan? Are they in prison? Well, when you read Ephesians, our warfare happens to be with spirit beings that are in the air. Principalities and powers that are now at work in the air. So of the fallen angels, probably, I don't, I don't know that I can prove this, the majority of them are still roaming in the air. If you remember Daniel when he prayed, uh, he couldn't get an answer from Michael because he was fighting with the spirit beings running Persia, the spirit beings running Babylon. There's a whole network of spirit beings out there. In this, uh, what, what scares you, they also go to church. Maybe that's why you can't get anything when you hear the sermon. The devil's on your shoulder. Because what does he do? He snatches the word of God before you get outside. He said that Matthew 13. That when the seed is sown, the birds of the air come, which is the devil, to steal the word of God out of your heart. Why can't you remember the word of God, but you remember all the stats on the baseball team? You remember everything about the basketball game, but you can't quote one verse because the devil is having his way in your mind. The devil is the thief. He comes to rob and steal, and you get in trouble. Or I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Hey, you, if you only just quote one good verse, it sure could help you. Well, I, I don't know the Bible. I didn't go to seminary. Did you go to church? Who's stealing the Word of God out of your heart? How much Bible do you know? How much of it can you quote? Well, I, I don't have a good memory. You memorize whatever you want. How, what's your social security number? Go. Ooh, you know that, honey. You know just what you want to know, but the devil will see that you never know what God says. Because he hates God and he hates his word. But there is a category of spirit beings that did a sin beyond the original rebellion against God. And listen to what Jude, let's go over to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Listen to what he says. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 4. If God did not spare angels when they sinned. Okay, is this the original rebellion? Watch. But sent them to hell. And this word for hell is a word Tartarus, which means prison house, uh, even in Revelation, you know, demonic beings come out of an abyss. Uh, and where this Tartarus is in the whole underworld, I'm not sure. But he said he sent them to hell because they had not been cast into the lake of fire yet. 
But he sent them to a prison house, putting them in chains of darkness. Somebody said, well, how do you chain a spirit being? I don't know. But what does chain represent? Restraint. Come on, restraint. We put a prisoner in shackles. Well, these have been imprisoned. They're no longer in the air. They're out of action. They're out of action. They've been imprisoned. They're in chains to be held for judgment. They're headed for the white throne judgment. And according to 1 Corinthians 6, 3, I will be there with Jesus judging angels. Oh, you don't believe it? You're looking at me like I'm crazy. 1 Corinthians 6, 3. I got Bible for it. Uh, listen to what he says in Jude. Verse 6. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, wherever that was, but abandoned their proper dwelling. Oh, what's this? It's like God said, I made you for this sphere, but they abandoned it. Well, what did they do? They abandoned their proper dwelling. These he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. So, we understand that in Genesis 6, if you read the coming of the flood, that right before the flood, he said the sons of God came down and married the daughters of men. And sons of God is one of the terms for angelic being, Job 1. Because angels are individual creations. They're each called a son. They're not in the family. Angels don't have angels. God created each angel, which the fallen angels we call demons. And so these spirit beings stepped out of their mode, entered the human race, either demonized the women, went in and possessed them, or some say they, ass they assumed bodies, so they procreated and they had gave birth to what is called Nephilim in the Hebrew, fallen ones, uh, men of renown, victorious, big, strong, violent, wicked, maybe even giants. So a weird kind of progeny were born. And these women had, been, had undergone cosmic rape in which these invading angels polluted the whole human family. Some scholars believe when it says of Noah, he was righteous or perfect in all of his generation. No man's ever been perfect morally or free from sin. They take it to be he was pure in his bloodline because God had promised Eve, I'm going to send a deliverer to your seed and he shall bruise the head of the serpent. And we believe the reason the flood came is demonic powers had so invaded and polluted the human race that God said, it grieves me that I've made man. You've ruined everything I have made, Satan. And this angelic invasion 
that I'm going to wipe you off the face of the earth. There's only one man and seven others with him that I'm going to preserve because I am going to get the seed here. I am going to get a Messiah here. And I preserve this man and his family. And through Noah, Ham, Shem, and Japheth, Shem is the Semitic line. I will get the seed of the woman eventually. But this was a satanic plot to destroy the coming of Messiah by polluting the human race. And we eliminated everybody on the earth except eight people. Now, what does Christ do in a resurrected body? He said, I'm paying a visit to the penitentiary of spirit beings, and I'm going to the door, and I'm saying, hear me well. I made it. I got here. I've gone to the cross. You tried to kill me at Bethlehem. You tried to kill me in Genesis 6. You tried to thought you wiped me out at the cross. You thought you'd never hear from me again. I'm here to announce you're defeated, you're liars, and your judgment is coming. I am a resurrected Christ. I've overcome death and the grave. I've overcome the satanic plot. Can you imagine if you were really saved, you could jump a pew right now and run about three, run about three rows. But we're so tame. You talk about truth. This is our Christ. This is the Christ. I suffered. You thought that was the end. You haven't seen the end, honey. You haven't seen him in a resurrected body. When he tells these spirit beings, I routed your plan. I've incarcerated you, and you got the lake of fire coming. It's coming. Because you tried, you tried to uh, defeat God's plan. Matter of fact, if you want an astounding verse, look with me uh, to Colossians. Thank you, Matt, for bringing it up here today. Colossians 2. Look there. Book of Colossians. You're there, aren't you? I can't hear paper. How many are using your phone? I get so tired of that. I want to hear paper. <laughs> to, uh, let's pick up verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. Isn't that beautiful? Which stood against us and condemned us. He's taking it away, nailing it to the cross. And the picture is all the indebtedness or all the indictments against us that no doubt in the hands of Satan was a great tool to keep you condemned. You know, if every day I wanted to get to you, I could show the, the indictments against you. You're a criminal for these reasons. Or you owe money for this. You owe the law this. And just remind you, beat you to death. And Jesus said to the Father, I want to pick up all the IOUs on the way to the cross. And he went to the cross, and we nailed the IOU there. All legal charges against you have been erased at the cross. Now, before you shout too much, let's just keep going. Now, watch this. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. This word, public spectacle, the only other time it's used in all of Scripture is when Joseph said he put Mary away 
to protect her from public disgrace. She's a pregnant teenage girl, probably 14 or 15. Joseph loved her. He knew she wasn't promiscuous, but the community doesn't know it. And here she's carrying a baby, and he said he put her away privately, not wanting to expose her to public disgrace. Same word. Guess what Christ did? Christ, when he was resurrected and going on his way to heaven, he called every spirit being in the universe together. Millions of them. Stars. uh, There's no more stars than there are angels. He called good angels and bad angels. He called them all together as an angelic meeting of the universe of spirit beings. And when he got them together, he took all those rebellious spirit beings that had declared war against God and him, and he made a public spectacle of them. He sold them their wimps. They couldn't defeat the plan, and now they had to deal with the rest. He was easy to handle when he was a babe uh, riding down to Egypt with Mary and Joseph. But by George, I am now the risen Christ. I want you to know I'm going to strip you of all dignity in front of all other spirit beings. I remember uh, the story. Chuck Swindoll told it years ago, and he's warning us preachers, don't mess up. Don't mess up. Don't get in trouble. And he told the story that when he was a Marine in Japan, while he was serving there, one of the ranking officers decided he'd go to the Red Lake District. Had to go visit a brothel. He got busted. Got being a, an officer, he was expected to hold to a greater standard And Swindoll describes what it was like for all those men to be standing at attention and for the commanding officer to take this man and strip him of his four stars in front of all these men, stripped of his rank, stripped of his honor, made a publicly, public, this, this, uh, this exposure of his failures and said, you violated your moral duty to these troops. We're stripping you in front of them. You're going to have no dignity when we're done with you. Jesus stripped the spirit world of all their insult and all their seemingly power. Then he went on, and that word, by the way, to make a public spectacle, that word is used of coming into a royal courtroom and having uh, having the king or the, the despot to strip you in front of the other peers for doing a bad job. Just, I'm going to strip you, and then he says, we're going to triumph over you by the cross. And the word there is really a triumphal party, a celebration. Let's throw a party in front of these fallen spirit beings. Michael, Gabriel, get over here. Let's dance and have a party in front of them. Say, you're defeated. It was used of the Roman generals that marched into Rome. They threw a celebration in the heavens. I have conquered death. I've conquered Satan. I am a risen, conquering, triumphant Savior. That's what he's saying. 
Then he goes on to say how he overcame death in the flood. You could say the judgment of God. And he starts talking uh, about Noah and the flood. And he says some difficult things for us as we try to interpret the scriptures because he said uh, about them that water saves and, uh, you know, we get, whoa, water saves, verse 21, and the water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. And so that, what, what is being said here? What does it mean? baptism saves you. And he says it's a symbol. It's, it's, it's a copy of what happened to Noah. The water saves you. Baptism saves you. Well, let's think through the illustration. I'm going to Noah. Water is going to get so deep. As I read the narrative again, it said water, I believe it was, was 25 feet deep over the highest mountain peak. So all the mountains were covered. So if Mount Everest existed then, if it had that height, the water, the flood, was at least 25 feet higher than that. This was no local flood, friend. This was no local flood. So it's covering. And one passage in the Greek says they were saved through water, dia. They came through the agency of water. Let, let's think it through. Did the water save anybody? You know, there's only two ways to understand water. You're either underwater or you're above it. Is that too profound? <laughs> Under the water, you're dead. If we thought water saved, we would just hold you under and leave you there. You know, you're getting saved. And the last thing you could tell the Lord when you see him is all I know they were baptizing. Water cannot save you. It'll drown you, but it can't save you. Uh, was Noah saved by going underwater? Or saved by going in the ark. So far, you're doing good. <laughs> so, what's the message? In baptism, we're celebrating that we have overcome the waters of judgment. That the waters that could drown us and the judgment Christ underwent could have killed us. But through our identity with Christ that we believe baptism is a picture of, we have died to sin. We have been buried. We went under the water. But I thank God, even in our baptism practices, we bring them up. <laughs> we come up. And Peter's careful to say, just know this baptism I'm talking about cannot wash away physical or moral filth, either one. It cannot. It doesn't have the power to make you clean. 
Not at all. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about doing something externally that you're testifying, I belong to Christ, my ark. And with him, I've undergone the waters of judgment. With him, I've gone to the cross. In him, I've been buried. And in him, I've risen. And my conscience answers to God, I really am trusting Christ. I am believing. My conscience, is my inner man agrees with the external act. I just made a public statement I am Christ, and he is mine, and the judgment of God shall not touch me. Because I've been in the ark. I've withstood the storm of divine judgment. Everything that Noah experienced. You see, what you could have done, imagine being a Jonah preaching 120 years, and he steps out and says, children, it's going to rain. And I can imagine the scientific crowd can you put that under a microscope? What is rain? We only get dew. We've never seen rain. You crazy old man, you're 600 years old. You know, your mind starts going. It's going to rain. And what's Peter preaching? Judgment is coming. Judgment is coming. And what is this generation saying? You're out of your head. Let the good times roll, honey. It's time to party and boogie. He said, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. You're crazy, Noah. You're crazy. And how long did he do this? You know what? We would have wrote him up in Leadership Magazine as a failure. You mean you could only get seven other people to get in with you? Yep, that's all. There's just eight of us. Can you imagine what the exiles that Peter's writing. You're small in number. The world is mocking our message. He's making fun of this Christian sect in which its pastors are being thrown to lions, burned at the stake, martyred. You're a bunch of idiots. Don't follow that crazy Nazarene that got himself killed under Pontius Pilate. You bunch of fanatic, absurd idiots. But friend, it rained. It rained. And it rained for 40 days. And it did not just come down. He opened up all the fountains of the deep. He turned everything upside down. God made water like you couldn't believe to cover this whole globe. I'm sick of what I made. I'm going to wipe you out. And I'm going to do it again. But I'm going to use fire. Human race, if you're here without Christ, your only hope is to get in the ark. You, you better run to Christ. You, you know what? You don't need swim lessons. It won't do any good. Can you imagine a guy saying, I'll just swim through the flood. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. 150 days out there with the earth covered. You can't swim that long. Maybe you said, I can climb. I get up over the bed. Well, you're still 30 feet under. Maybe, oh, I'll make myself a life preserver. That's what you need. That's what you need. And some of you say, I ain't running to Jesus. I'm going to figure a way out of the flood myself. 
I don't need to be in an ark. Matter of fact, they got a bunch of weird-looking animals in there. It's like the local church. If it wasn't for the flood on the outside, none of us would want to be in the inside. But friend, this old ship of Zion, see, I'm a deckhand on the old ship of Zion. We're telling you to get on board. Because God slammed the door shut and nobody could get in. And you've only got so much time before God slams the door. He's going to slam it. Can you ought to come? He's saying, come. Come. If I'll save a giraffe, I'll be more than willing to save you. We've got all these animal lovers. Friend, it's nice if we can save the whales, but I'm more interested in saving some, some human being. Seeing some human being come to Christ. Sometimes I can't stand the 2 o'clock news. Good night. I just heard about three dogs that died. You know, I, it just grips me. I can't hardly, can't hardly sleep on it. Said, so this is the local news. Oh, you're not with me because you've got a puppy, I know. Uh, listen to what it says here. It, it baptism saves you not because of water, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Why does he end there? We start in his triumph. First, he goes to the cross. And you say, I see no triumph. All I see is blood, gore, and rejection. Don't worry, he accomplished what he needed to there. Next, he goes to the prison house where the spirit beings that tried to eliminate him ever getting here, he tells them, I defeated you, God defeated your plan, even though it cost the whole human race their life, we defeated you, you're a defeated foe. Then, then he goes here and he says, let me tell you, I defeated the wrath of God against sin because in my son I provided an ark through the judgment waters. And, and I came out on the other end a resurrected Savior. Thirdly, I am triumphing because I'm having all spirit beings and especially even these fallen spirit beings. God has put me at his right hand, the ultimate place of authority, according to Psalms 110, and I'm going to remind you that I've stripped you, that I've defeated you, and that I, did you know, get this, not only people on the earth, according to Philippians, every spirit being along with every human being someday will join in that chorus and say, He is Lord, He is Lord, He is risen from the dead, and He is Lord. I said every spirit, every demonic spirit, that, that demons, every demon that lived in Gadara, 6,000 demons believed to be in that maniac. Chains weren't strong enough. Every demon that made you sleep with a different person every night, every drug addict that's strung out, not only on a drug, but maybe a demon-possessed life. He's going to tell every demon, every fallen angel, every rebellious man, sing, join. Go, let us now sing. Can you imagine that atheist? He is Lord. 
Yeah, yeah, sing it. I can't hit Karl Marx. Kind of get up a little higher. You're a little off tune there. Carl, up. Lennon, up. Voltaire, sing, get your part. And every tongue shall. Well, can I hear? Can I hear all you atheists? I can't. You, he is Lord. Uh, I don't see you bowing. You're going to bow. You're going to bow. Every spirit being is going to bow. And you're going to bow. Whether you believe in him or not, you will bow. Because he is Lord of all creation. And he says, I end up here. I'm a triumphant Christ. You're not following some defeated mamby-pamby baby in the manger. You're following the restoring, risen, exalted Christ. That's the Christ that's coming. This is the Christ that defeats the armies at Armageddon. This is no wimp Christ. This is the mighty Christ. Spirit beings bow before him. Spirit beings tremble. You're not following a defeated Christ still on the cross. Don't give me a cross. Give me a necklace with him on the cross. Give me one with an empty tomb. He's risen. He's risen. Can he save you? Well, he sure can. He's already routed your enemy. Greater is he that... And, and, and so many of us conservatives go, it's so bad in the Bay Area. It was pretty bad in Noah's day. He kept preaching. I said, he kept preaching? He said, well, anybody listen? Oh, only seven people. Only seven. You know what? What if Valley gets down to 50 people? Would you still serve him? I, I can't hear you. Is truth worth being loyal to? You know, some of you, well, Phil's going to leave. Did I, we didn't say God was going to leave. Huh? We didn't say the comforter's going to leave. No, no, God's tools get used, laid aside. You know, I got preacher friends of mine. I said, God, you took Steve Fernandez too young. He's young. He's only in his 60s. We need him. God said, don't tell me my business. I'll take him whatever age I want. Spurgeon's only 58. You can't take away the greatest English-speaking preacher in history. Yes, I will. You can't take George Whitfield in his 50s. He's the greatest evangelist in England. I'll take him in his 50s. Some of you live longer, but you've done less. What will you do if God gives you a hundred more years? Will you be preaching the gospel? Will you be praying? Will you just saying, I'll be praying when he comes. I'll be serving when he comes. What will he catch you doing if he comes today? Are you in the ark? Are you aware you have a triumphant Christ? Quit feeling sorry for him. He's Lord. And he's got the nations in the palm of his hands, and he's going to shatter them as a vessel, just like that. And God said, I will laugh at those who have mocked my son. I will laugh at you as I cast you into the lake of fire, for I will have the final word. I know it.
I was scared to death of him at 14 because I knew I was going to hell. But guess what? He picked up all my certificates of debt, and they've been paid. They're all paid. I'm going there. Glory to his name. Good, the church. Say a healthy, non <laughs> Can you say amen? amen? Let's stand. Okay. He is Lord. He, oh, I'm listening. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Let me ask you, are you here and he's not Lord yet? And you've not yet put trust in him? Did you know you could be saved right now? If you would right now say, Jesus, I want in you. I know you're the only protection from divine wrath. My sins have been many, and you're the only one that would pay them. What keeps you from receiving him today? Right where you are. You can pray to receive him. Us pastors, we'll wait around the front. We'll, we'll pray. But we can't do the work of the Spirit. Have you heard the Spirit talking to you? Come. come. The flood's coming. Judgment's coming. Hell is coming. We're not making it up. We're not making it up. Flee the wrath to come. Flee. Where can you go? Run to Jesus. Put your faith. The elders have been praying on Saturday nights. God save the unsaved who attend our services. God save children at camp. And thank all of you BBS workers. You did a magnificent job. Our whole community knows these adult people love kids. You, you outdid yourself. I thank Larry for paying tribute to you. You're, you're outstanding servants. Thank God for our children's ministry. Thank God for that whole ministry. If you need any help in making this decision, Matt and I and others will wait here. And, and if you're in the yard, when you dismiss, would you just simply say, I'm in the ark with you. Did you hear me? I'm in the ark with you. You're dismissed. I want to see you do it. You tell them. Wait, wait. Tell them. I'm in the ark. <laughs>